I am thankful, and I hope you are thankful, that we are children of God, who the Son sets free, we are free indeed. Amen? Amen. Goodness, if we could get our hearts to embrace that each and every day that we roll out of bed, wouldn't that be a sweet, sweet thing? As we uh, get into the Word, I just got to say, as every time I stand up here, I'm just thankful to the leadership of this church to inviting me in and give me the privilege to come and communicate uh, the gospel, God's Word, His truth. It's radical. It transforms. It redeemed me. It's redeeming you. Like, we are in, in good shape because of God's Word, aren't we? Man, it is a joy, and I'm thankful for the leadership. I'm thankful for the elders. If you've been at this church, you know there's been some transition, right? And we've been working and moving through some, through some things, but I'm telling you, you all have been patient, and you've been faithful, and you've been generous, and you have been committed, and it's appreciated. I sit with these men, and we walk, and we talk, and we pray, and we fast, and we navigate hard conversations, but I'm telling you, God is not taking his hand off of this place, and he's moving, and he's bringing leadership, and he's bringing a fresh wind, and a fresh fire, and a fresh spirit over this place, and so continue to pray for these men as they lead, and for this team as they lead, because God is on the move. He's on the move. My name is Mike Campbell. I've been hanging out here for the last nine months, once a week or once a month, coming around and spending a lot of time with Jared and Clayton and Todd and James and Leslie and the team, and I'm just super grateful to be able to stand up here today and just to kind of unpack a story and unpack another story in John 4. I want you to look at this slide. I want you to see this image of this water. What do you see? What's the first thing that pops into your head when you see that? I... It looks refreshing, right? Looks refreshing. If 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 it weren't January, whatever day it is, we would we would probably go love to step in that, swim in that. We would probably grab a drink from that. When you see that, it doesn't look stagnant. That's one of the things that I see when I look at that. It it does not look stagnant. It looks incredibly strong. We know that life exists, and whatever life exists at the top of that little waterfall is not going to be in that space very long because it's on its way over the falls, and it's downstream immediately. So nothing is going to sit around too long. It is, it is moving. It is strong. That current is moving. If I'm standing at the top of that, all of us would need to be really careful or we would probably get swept over it even though it's even though it's pretty small like that's inviting all of us whatever hike you may not be an outdoor person I'm not necessarily an outdoors person but when I am outside and I go on a hike or whatever and I come across a little waterfall even somebody like me stops and I pause and I'm like that's pretty like we do that like we see that stuff and we're we're kind of captivated by it And so that's what's embedded in the text this morning is this concept of living, active, moving water. It is not stagnant. It's strong. There's a current. It's moving. There's life in that. Let me transition. I want you to think back to last Tuesday. Okay, go back to last Tuesday. Alarm goes off or you wake up on your own at 6 or at 5.30 or at 8 or whatever you might do. Wake up to last Tuesday. I'm going to guarantee you, I'll bet you money that nobody in this room woke up last Tuesday and thought, wow. Today, I think I'm going to hear something that's going to change my life forever. Today, that Tuesday. Whatever happened on Tuesday, I bet none of us thought, today's the day. 
Today's the day. I'm going to get out of here. I'm going to get on a Zoom call by 9.30 and something's going to rock my world. Like I'm going to be transformed. And then fast forward to Thursday, just a few days ago. You didn't get up on Thursday and think to yourself, wow, today, I bet by noon, I'm going to hear something and it's radically going to transform the direction of my life. And by noon today, I'll probably quit my job and do something totally different, have a different W-2. My life is going to look different. I'm going to move. I'm going to, I'm going to live differently and talk differently. Like we didn't think that on Thursday. And when you got up this morning, you probably didn't think when, when you rolled into Grace Hills, when you pulled up to GH this morning and you see this dude with this stellar mustache on his face, you thought, wow, I bet that dude is going to drop some nuggets today that are radically going to transform my life. I bet you didn't think that. You probably were impressed by the mustache, though. Let's be, let's be honest. Let's be honest. So, I, why do I say that? Because in most of our lives, we can't, we, most of us can't really anticipate things like that. They just kind of happen. You may have a glimpse, like you're, you read a book, or you go to a conference, or you hear something, or you're listening to something, or you're anticipating a movie premiere, and you're like, man, that was amazing. But we really can't anticipate those things that radically transform our lives. But I am sure that the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman that day, probably wasn't anticipating that by high noon on that day, whatever day of the week that was, that her life would be radically transformed by some random encounter with this random Jewish guy sitting by the, uh, this well. But it did. It did. And that's what I love about this story, that story matters. And we have this glimpse today in these 40-some-odd verses tucked in John 4 of this little conversation between this man, Jesus, this woman who was a Samaritan who had an interesting life in history, and we see that her story mattered, and the story that Jesus was going to unpack for her mattered. I was listening to a podcast on Wednesday. It wasn't a spiritual podcast. It was just one that I like to listen to. There wasn't anything spiritually redeeming about it. I just, I'm intrigued by culture and celebrity, and I like listening to podcasts like that. And I'm listening to these two hosts talk, and they said something that I was just like, man, they were talking about our own story. And here's, here's the quote of what they said, because I went back and, and wrote it down. Um, the essence was this, that nothing that happens to you and nothing that happens to me means anything at all. That it means nothing. And even your own story, even your own experiences, your own background really aren't even true. It's just what you experience. In fact, there's no thoughtfulness, there's no strategy, there's no intention, there's no purpose to anything that you and I did this week. And these two hosts agree. They're like, yeah, that's just kind of the way it is. We just kind of live, and then we just kind of die, and we just exist, and we're done. And so as a follower of Christ, I'm listening, and I'm like, man, I can't think of anything worse if that were actually true. That's really pretty, pretty dismal to think about, isn't it? Like there's, not, there's nothing that, that, that matters that I'm a part of. And so I was listening to that, and I'm thinking, wow. And I'm in the middle of teaching prep, right, while I'm doing this. So I'm reading the scripture while I have this podcast on in the background. So I have this dichotomy of views that are happening, like literally at the same time. And I'm thinking, this story that I'm in the middle of, that I'm going to talk about in a few days, is the exact opposite. It, all it does is reinforce strategy and purpose and intention and plan and well-being and thoughtfulness and a well-thought-out plan for this woman's life that was radically transformed by this random Jewish guy at the well named Jesus. And I thought, goodness gracious, thank you, Lord, that you aren't just happenstance. Happenstance. 
Uh, let me pray for us. I want to pray. I want to pause and pray. Father, uh, we're going to dive in, and I need you in a big way to show up. And we need your word. Uh, we've all heard this story. And this is probably not a new story. But I pray, God, that how we would receive it, what we would feel from it, how it would impact us, I pray that that would be new. And I pray that in some weird way, in some supernatural way, would you just take the words of this text and help them flow out, that we would hear for us exactly what we need to hear this morning, that we would see ourselves in this story as this Samaritan woman. That's a big prayer, Lord, this morning. Amen. I want to give you the three kind of illustrations that I'm going to unpack before we even get started. So I want to give you the beginning, and then I want to give you the middle, and I want to give you the end. And it's these, it's these three thoughts. That number one is there's this idea of a surprise. There is a surprise that is, we will be introduced to in this scripture. And then on the back end of that surprise is this need that the woman will become aware of. And we, as the audience this morning, we get to become aware of that as well. And then on the back of that, once you uncover a need, it sure would be nice for somebody to provide a solution to that need. It's not very helpful, right, in life if somebody says, hey, um, Jared, you, man, you've got a lot of problems, dude, and I see a lot of holes in your life, and cool. And then it just, and then that mug just rolls and they're out. It's like, no, I have a solution. I want to introduce you to a solution and let's walk together. And that's what happens in the text today. But first, let's talk about the surprise. I want to read the scripture. You can track along with me. It's verses four through nine. This is the surprise that's happening. And he had to pass through Samaria, Jesus. So he comes to this town of Samaria called Sychar, or Sychar, whatever you, however you want to pronounce it, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, uh, tired and weary as he was from his journey, was just, he was just chilling. He was just sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. It was about noon. That's important. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria comes along. She comes to draw some water. And Jesus says to her, give me a drink. Why did he say that? Because his disciples had left. They're in the city. They're grabbing some food. He says, give me a drink. And then the woman looks at him. And I love, I mean, this, this lady is so bold. She's like, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? Why would you, some Jewish dude, ask me, some random Samaritan woman, Samaritan woman, for a drink? And then parentheses there, the, the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. So, surprise. There's this surprise that we get engaged in in these first few verses of the scripture. Why would we be surprised about this? There's a few reasons. Number one, we've already established this. Jesus was Jewish. He was incredibly Jewish. I mean, he, he was the king of the Jews. He, he was the Jewish man, and he rolls up, and he's having this conversation with a Samaritan woman. But here's what you need to know, and we'll unpack this. Jews and Samaritans did not get along. Not only did they not get along, there was a hatred and a disrespect that the Jews had for the Samaritans. They did not interact. Why is that? Samaritans had some Jewish background, but then in, in the Jewish eyes, they did a few things wrong. They went and they intermarried among other people and other races, and they looked different, and their skin color was different, and they were looked on, down on, and they were downgraded by, by the Jewish people. Like, the Jewish people just did not have a high view of them, and they disrespected them for who they would marry and spend time with. Those are the things that shouldn't even be in our in our thinking space now, but in those days, it was a huge, huge deal. 
The Samaritans had their own version of the, a version of the Bible. They, they kind of processed and worshipped through their own Torah. They had their own temple that they worshipped in. And I'm telling you, Orthodox Jews of the day, they hated Samaritans so much that they would travel hundreds of miles around communities and cities so they did not have to go into certain areas of town. It, it, it was this, this really visceral hatred and disrespect for this other people group. And it was heartbreaking. And so for this Samaritan woman in that moment, you can imagine what she's feeling. She's thinking, this is weird. Because it was. It was really weird. Man, side note, that's what I love about Jesus' ministry. It was just weird. You know, he just, he tugged on people and pulled on people and spoke to people that some of us would walk right by. That's what he did. I have three and also's in here that, that I want to just kind of jump in here. And also, in the culture, in that moment, there was this gender divide that existed. Women were not respected in this particular moment in history and in time. They were not. So the fact that a man was having a conversation with a single woman, who, by the way, is of a different demographic profile than him, that just did not happen. So if you're a bystander watching this conversation at the well, not only you're weirded out that this Jewish man is talking to this particular woman, but you're thinking to yourself, why is this man talking to this woman? It just did not happen. And also, this particular woman had a history. Now, we'll see that in a few scriptures in a little bit, but I don't need to unpack it. I'm telling you, in her culture, she was an outcast. In her culture, she uh, had a sketchy background and a sketchy history. Here's how I can tell you that to be true. Um, it's the middle of the day. It's hot. In this particular culture, anything you read, going to the well to grab water was like a social, it was like a little social event. You went with your friends. You went because you could walk together and you could help each other. Why? Because carrying buckets of water is heavy. So you did not, you never went by yourself. You for sure never went by yourself if you were a woman. And if you did go, you didn't go at high noon. You would go early in the morning while it was still cool or late at night while it was still cool. You didn't roll up in the middle of the day, the heat of the day. We do the same thing. We, we, you, rarely do we get out and work in the yard at noon in July because it's so hot. But she's there by herself, without friends, without any social construct around her, by herself in the middle of the day. She wasn't respected. She had a background. And we'll unpack that because that's in Scripture. And also, she wasn't there looking for a conversation. She wasn't there looking for a conversation with this random Jewish guy working his way through town. That was a total, total surprise. She faced racial barriers, gender barriers, moral barriers, and even spiritual barriers. Because as we'll see in a little bit, some of her spiritual inadequacies will be gently pointed out by Jesus. She faced all kinds of barriers. Here's what I want you to hear. I want you to hear about her story, which is the same about your story and mine. Jesus reached across the barriers. He dropped a grenade in the middle of the barriers. And he said, hey, let's have a conversation, woman. Let's have a conversation, Mike. I want to I I shift some things up. I want to mix some things up. Surprise. In the chapter before, similar story. Only this time, Jesus is having a conversation with a Jewish man. He's having a conversation with a Jewish man who has means, who has some gravitas, who has some influence. He has some spiritual maturity. But in John's storytelling, it's so important for us to hear 
that the story doesn't stop with just this conversation with this Jewish man, but it also took place with this Samaritan woman because it gives us a glimpse into the heart of the Messiah. Who, Oh, by the way, in this age, everybody knew he was coming. They just didn't know when. They studied. They knew that the Savior would come from the Jews, but they didn't know when. So we have this glimpse. I want to read this because I don't want to miss this. Um, Jesus didn't just roll with the good people. He didn't just roll with the easy people. He didn't just roll with the clean people. He didn't just roll with those that live good lives and have good reputations and fat bank accounts. He rolled with those who had history. And in John, as he's writing this, it was important for us to see that. That Jesus takes initiative with regular people. People that have some mileage on them. People that have some scars on them. People that have some story behind them. Those are the people that Jesus came for. He came for that Jewish guy earlier, but he also came for this random woman that he found at the well. People like you. And most definitely people like this guy standing in front of you. That's who he came for. I'm not, it's not lost on me, though, that you could be sitting here right now and hear this story for the hundredth time and think, I get that, but before I can fully come to him, i got to get my junk together. Like, okay, Mike, I hear what you're saying, but, you know, you're up there and I'm out here and you don't know me. I do know you. I am you. <laughs> Your story is my story, you know? It's all our story. And so we don't have to clean it up. We don't have to get it together. We don't have to package it perfectly. We don't have to diagram it out. The principle is this, that Jesus initiates in a surprising way with unlikely people. That Jesus initiates in a surprising way with unlikely people i got three principles for you this morning. That's the first one, that he's going to do this sneak attack when you least expect it. You're just going to be hanging out at a well at noon on a hot day, and you're going to have this conversation that's going to transform your life. Number two, number two, the passage, verse 10. Jesus answers her. Here's the need. We're about to see the need. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Side note again, I love this. Man, Jesus is a brother who speaks in riddles. You know, he's just throwing these little nuggets and these little riddles. You're like, what, is, what does this brother actually mean? And then he begins to unpack it. And I don't know if you've watched The Chosen, but this, this show is like rocking me right now. And we're working through season one. I'm late to the game on it. But I'm loving seeing Jesus just interact as a real person, you know, with his, with his men and the conversations. And I love Peter in that series because I'm like, oh, man, Peter is just so rambunctious. And he's like 90% of us, you know. I love that, and I just got to imagine this story unfolding like this. You would have asked him, and he would have given you living water, and the woman says to him, she's so bold, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and this well is deep. Where do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well, and he drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, Everyone drink who drinks of this water will be thirsty. Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, and whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman says to him, 
with great boldness, sir, give me this water. Give it to me so that I will not be thirsty and I don't ever have to come back here and draw water again. I want this water. In this moment, God, uh, Jesus helps her identify her need. She is hungry. She is thirsty. And, and, and there's no amount of water that's going to come out of this well that's going to fill her up. It's almost this like little pre-glimpse of what he's about to drop on her in the next verse. Of He's helping her wrestle through this need that she has. And she realizes, oh my goodness, I'm spiritually dehydrated. And there are no amount of electrolytes that are going to fix this in this moment. Like, I desperately need to be filled up with something else. So the principle is that Jesus initiates in this surprising way with you, with me, with her in this unlikely manner, with unlikely people, and then he identifies in that moment our greatest need. Practically, what does that mean right now? 72712, right where we live, what does it mean? It means that we find so many things when we leave here that, tr- that we try to fill our thirst with, that we try to fill our hunger with. Our land, our house, our job, our 401k, our W-2, our car, our vacations, our social media post, everything. We are filling, 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 only to find ourselves thirsty, 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 dehydrated, wondering, why can't I keep up? I have this conversation all the time with young people. Um, Why is it that I'm so unhappy here? And the reason it is, is because I see everything else, everybody posts and everything they're doing, and I'm thinking, that's not my life. Well, the reality is none of us post when we're in our room depressed in tears. We don't post that stuff because you probably really don't want to see it. What you want to see is this cool stuff that I'm doing, and we fill it, and we fill it, and we fill it, and we're thirsty and we're thirsty and we're thirsty and God's saying I have something actually that will fill you up and this woman's like oh man can I get some of that can I get some of that surprise the need and the resolution here is the solution in verse 16 verse 16 Jesus says go call your husband and come here And the woman answers him, I have no husband. This is great. And Jesus said, you're right in saying you have no husband. You actually have five. And he just drops a little truth bomb. Boom. You actually have five. And I I think it says, yeah, the, the, the fellow that you're hanging out with now, he's not even your husband. Okay, I get, I I paraphrase, so I got to get back. Okay, the one you have now, he's not your husband. But what you said is true. And then the woman looks at him, and this is like this super intense moment. Sir, I perceive that you might be a prophet. Like, can you imagine that conversation? Like, okay, random. Again, I, I just, I repeat a lot, but it's important. Random Jewish guy shows up at the well. Why is he here? Why is he talking to me? I'm a woman. I'm a Samaritan. I have a history. I got five plus husbands. I'm like, I've got a background. Nobody's here helping me. I'm all by myself. It's hot and sweaty. And this dude just gave me a little snippet of my life that really not a lot of people know about. You might be a prophet. Yeah. Yeah, you might be. And so all of a sudden, this moral issue surfaces. This moral issue surfaces, and she realizes that this man is not exactly who maybe she thought he was. Sidebar. All of us. Make no mistake. Jesus knows you. Whatever you look at, he's looking at with you. Things you think about, he knows you're thinking them. 
Things you're chasing after and pursuing, he sees it. We can't hide. We'd like to think that we can. We cannot. And that is an overwhelming thought right there. That is really overwhelming. There's a guy who in my past has wrestled with things that I have looked at and things that have been put into my mind. When I think about that fact that the creator of the universe is at my hip, man, that's heartbreaking, y'all. Fellas, that's heartbreaking. But then, verse 19 through 25, the woman, she's smart, she's sharp, and so she begins to kind of navigate this conversation and have a little bit of an argument. She says to him, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is this place where people ought to worship. And Jesus says to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. And then the next verse, the hour is coming, and it's now here. It's here. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking, much, is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And the woman says to him, I like this, I know that Messiah is coming. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Okay. In this moment, this is what we do. We get in these little arguments with Jesus. We don't get these face-to-faces with him where we can start like this ne- negotiation process that she's kind of going into this back and forth. We don't get to do that. We, we usually do it by ourselves or through with somebody else walking with us to do it. But she begins to have this conversation. He's basically saying, hey, don't lose hope. Like, don't, don't get uh, in the mud here. Don't get stuck in the mud. There's something coming, and it's coming really soon. In fact, it's coming now. Um, so listen in. Don't get distracted. And then we see verse 25. And the woman says to him, I know that Messiah, he who is called Christ, when he comes, he will tell us all things. And then verse 26, as as much as I've walked through this week, every time I read this verse, I get goosers. Because Jesus looks at her, I who speak to you am he. It's me. I'm the Savior. I'm the one that you heard about in Bible school. I'm the one that you heard the priests and the scribes talk about. I'm the one that you heard read about. It's me. <laughs> she has this face-to-face encounter with Jesus who just told her about her life and who just broke down some gender barriers and racial barriers and moral barriers and spiritual barriers, and he just is hanging out with her. This conversation, you know, we're, we've been talking about this for 30 minutes This conversation might have been a five-minute conversation. He says, the one that you speak of, that's me. Principle number three. Jesus initiates in a surprising way with unlikely people. He then identifies our greatest needs, and then he offers himself as a solution to our needs. It's not complicated, but it sure is hard. It's hard to see ourselves in that picture because I find myself thinking I'm probably better than that woman at the well, and I'm just like her, and so are you. I'm a fan of Celebrate Recovery. Uh, It talks about hurts, habits, and hang-ups. I'm a fan because I think we all have hurts, habits, and hang-ups. I think we all have identity issues. I think we all are like the Samaritan woman with junk. I want to read something from Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis, because there's this 
deciding point that is, that's facing this woman. It's facing us. It's facing us every day. C.S. Lewis says this in Mere Christianity. I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. This is what people say. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher. I just don't accept his claim to be God. And that's what people say. That is, this is back to Lewis, that is the one thing we must not say. A man who is merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus would say would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says, I'm a poached egg, or he would be the devil of hell. You have to make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or he is a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him, you can kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend it to. Now it seems to me, to Lewis, that it is obvious that he was neither a lunatic nor a fiend and consequently, however strange or however terrifying or however unlikely it may seem, I have to accept this view that he is God. He's either liar, lunatic, or Lord. But he can't just be a great teacher because nobody would say what he would say. So the core issue for this woman, the core issue for you and for me, this wrestling match that we have is, is Jesus who he says he was that day? Do you believe it? Do you believe that story? Did she believe it? He claims to be the source of living water. He claims to be more than a Jew. He claims to be more than a Samaritan. He claims to be the answer to sin, to the sin problem. He claims to be the Messiah. This isn't just some informational download at the well for this woman. And this morning is not some informational download from me to you. I'm dropping a couple principles on you that like radically transform the way you live and the decisions that you make and how you calendar your life and how you spend your money and the kind of jobs that you take and whether or not you move here or there and how you lead your kids and how you navigate your friendships and lead in your marriage and what do you do at church and do you even find a church and the priorities that you make. Like, this isn't just information. Like, this is living water. Um, there's a pattern. Look at this pattern on the screen. Uh, there's a pattern to Jesus's method into what he does and the pattern is this now this pattern right here is interesting because this is mine y'all probably don't have a pattern this is mine this is Campbell plaid because I think my folks are from Scotland and if I ever had a kilt it would have to be made out of like this plaid right here this is my plaid I have a pattern this is it and I have this pattern in my life, and I hope that pattern in my life is that I'm going to pursue Jesus with all my heart, that I want to make disciples everywhere I don't want to go, that I engage hard conversations for the sake of pointing people towards Jesus. And Jesus has a pattern, and his pattern is this. He goes out of his way to encounter and find people. He goes out of his way to encounter and find you. Number two, he then reveals what your deepest hunger and your deepest thirst is. 
That's his pattern. He goes out of his way to find you. And then he goes out of his way to reveal to you what your need is. And then he offers himself as the solution to that hunger and to that thirst. He finds you in this surprising manner, in this unlikely manner. I was reflecting on my own story. He found me out of my own deception. I pretended that I was a follower of Jesus Christ, interviewed for a job that I needed to be a follower of Jesus Christ and was the furthest thing I could be. And in my deception in the mountains of Colorado, Jesus grabbed me and I became a follower of Jesus Christ. He found me through my own deception. Do not think that you're off limits. Wherever you find yourself in, you could be in the pit of hell in this very moment. Like you could come in here limping this morning and he's like, I got you. I got you. Worship team is going to play and I want you just, I want you to, you know, really just, I want you to close your eyes. I want you to close your eyes, put your heads down. Just, I want you to try to, as much as you can, block out everything. I want you to hear my voice a little bit. I, want, I just want to bombard you with some questions. And I want those questions, I hope, to kind of just like tug on your heart a little bit. And here's, here's the primary question. Have you, have you seen a pattern in your life where Jesus has been in relentless pursuit of you? Is there a pattern in your life where Jesus has been in relentless pursuit of you? What has he shown you lately? Who has he used to encourage you and reach you? What is he rescuing you from? What have you been rescued from? Where is he leading you? What is he saying to you? How are you growing right now? What does your life look like right now? Is there something that is consistently happening over and over in your life that is drawing you? What's moving you right now? What do you weep over? What are you passionate about? I'd submit to you that the answer to those simple questions is the proof that Jesus has this pattern of relentless pursuit of you. And so the application of that is the so what. It's like what happens next? What are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? What will you do with what he is showing you. And it's not because you have to, it's because you get to. Father, I just pray this morning for each one of us that we could be totally and radically transformed and redeemed by the stories of your scripture that your word would be real and it would be alive. It would not fall on deaf ears that we wouldn't hear this stuff and be like, yeah, I've heard that before. Lord, would you just pour some living water over Grace Hills right now?
This is a body that needs some water, needs some refreshment. Lord, we don't want to live dehydrated. We don't want to live with cramps. We want to live ready to run the race. Ready to run the race. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Some leaders in the room, some elders in the room, I urge you in this very moment, if you need somebody to grab you right now, put their hand on you, pray over you, get broken with you, get real with you, then find one of these leaders who are going to be standing up here in a minute. We're going to worship. We're going to give. We're going to be generous with our lives with our treasure. We're going to be thankful for stories like that that are in the scripture today. Amen.